Okay, let's pray. We're going to read the first couple of verses of Genesis chapter 23. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for love. We thank you for uh, Christ and his conquering death. Uh, Father, we thank you that we do not have to grieve like uh, those without hope grieve. We thank you that we, we grieve because the sting of death doesn't sit right with us. Um, but we know that Christ conquered death and that we have hope in him. And so, Father, uh, in your timing, you have placed uh, this, 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 this passage before us. That's, uh, if we allow our emotions to explore it and to really think and ponder and to, um, to really evaluate that which is happening in this passage, it, it is a painful story. It's a, it's a, it's a story that's, that's packed with, with so many lessons and, and so, Father, we pray that you would help us to, to really uh, allow ourselves to, uh, um, to go there, to, to feel the pain that's in this passage, and that you would uh, use this uh, to help us to grow closer to you. Father, we are just deeply thankful for our church family. We thank you for the love that exists here. We thank you for uh, the, the care for one another, the friendships that extend uh, beyond generations and through generations, both up and down. And Father, we pray that you would help us just to continue uh, walking with you faithfully, that you would help us to love one another well. And Father, we are just deeply grateful for Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 23, verse 1. <clears throat> Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in uh, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abram went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Father, we do thank you uh, for the story. We pray that you would help us um, to just have a greater understanding and preparation uh, for death. We pray that you would help us um, really to, to learn from this passage. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, this, pain, this passage is rough. Like, it was rough to me uh, before yesterday's news. Um, there, there's something about death that just doesn't sit right with us. Like, like I remember the first time I experienced death. For me, the first time I experienced death, I was probably like five or six years old, and my my maternal grandfather passed away. Like, in my memory, it's all blurry. It was dark. Um, I there was no funeral that I went to, but there was like just this sort of like commotion in the home and hearing that grandpa Bain had passed away and and there was like it was just kind of chaos and that's my earliest recollection of of death and and in that moment and sort of like the years following my life has just been filled with a lot of death like i've experienced it and not personally obviously but um but just being around people who have died as a pastor, I'm, I'm there so often in the final moments with people. And, and, and it just, there's something intrinsically within us 
that when we're faced with death, we just, like, it's like almost we can't compute what's happening. It just feels so wrong. It feels like it's not right. It's not supposed to be. And the reality is, it's not supposed to be that, that, there, that God didn't create death initially. Death came as a result of sin. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, we're told that God has placed eternity in man's heart. And so when we are faced with death, intrinsically deep within us, we know that this is like something is wrong. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And death stings. And so today, in this story, this is a story about a husband losing his wife. And it's deeply painful if we really consider the reality of what happened. We've been following Abraham, and we've been following Sarah for a number of chapters now. We've seen them move from Ur, which is modern-day Iraq, down you know, all the way to where they are in the promised land. We've seen them make a lot of mistakes. We've seen them sort of stumble and fumble along the way. We've seen their faith develop and just really where they finished their life really strong. And so my prayer is that as we go through the story today, that we would have a, a, a better understanding of how to deal with death we live in a culture where so many churches focus on, like, if you go to, like, any cool, trendy church, what's the subject that's going to be preached on multiple times over and over and over again? Sex. Like, that's a super trendy subject because it's, it's popular. I mean, it's, like, what people like to talk about. And we're, we're in an, a culture where death is everywhere. Like, I forget the statistics. I read somewhere that it's, like, the average person in a year watching somebody die, whether real or fictitional, is something like 800 times, like through the TV shows and, and movies and things that you watch. Like we're super desensitized to death, and yet we're the least equipped to handle with it as a culture. Um, and so my, my prayer is that through today's story, we would have a better understanding of how to cope and deal with death. And I also uh, pray that the reality of uh, death. Um, it's, it's got a pretty strong success rate for everybody. Um, all but two people have not died. Um, Enoch and Elijah, even Jesus tasted death. Jesus died. Like, so there's only two people in human history that we're aware of that the Bible says never died. And so unless the Lord returns before your death, the odds are pretty high that you're going to die. Sorry if I've like ruined anything for you guys. And so my prayer is in light of that reality, that reality that one day we're going to stand face to face with our creator, it should affect how we live our lives, that we should live our lives well. We, we can't control the, the length of our life, but we can control the width of our life. And so my prayer is that we would really think about this reality and that it would affect our day-to-day. It would affect our marriages, our relationships, our friendships, uh, how we go about doing business with one another, that we would honor Christ in our lives, because one day you're going to stand before him and give an account. It's just reality. Um, so we come to verse 1. We read, Now Sarah lived 127 years. Fun fact for Bible trivia whenever it comes around, Debbie. Uh, <clears throat> this is the only time a woman's age is named in the Bible. 
I think that they unionized after this, and uh, but it's the only place in the Bible where a woman's age is given, um, at least at the end of her life. I haven't like done, I haven't gone through statistics, but everybody's like says, "Oh, this is the only time a woman's age is given." Um, these were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron in the land of Canaan. So they're in the promised land. They're in the location where God told them to go. They're not in their home. They're not in their home country. They're in this land that they've moved to um, based on God's word and his promises. It's not a land that there was, was their own. They were sojourners. They were outsiders. They didn't have passports. They didn't have rights to like the land. They didn't have all sorts of things. And here she is, and she died. And then we're told that Abraham, he went in, to mourn for Sarah. And it's just like, this is one of those passages, like I'm just reading this and it like, it just cuts to my heart. Like having been there in these moment, moments in my life where I've been there with either the husband or the wife as their spouse breathes their last breath, there is like nothing more sacred and intimate and to have the privilege as a pastor to find myself in these moments, like, I, like there's just so much. And so I read this, and it's like for me to like imagine this scene is like, it's, it's more than I can almost bear. And so he goes, and he's with his wife by her side, and he's mourning for Sarah and to weep for her. Other interesting fact, last week, if Genesis is this book of first. So if last week was the first week that we saw the word love with, with uh, Abraham in relationship to his son, this is the first time the Bible uses the word to weep. So this is the first time we see crying, and it's with this husband over his wife who's separated from him. And so there's something deep, as I've expressed over and over and over again, that there's something deep, 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 a sorrow and agony within us when we are separated from our spouse. It isn't supposed to be this way. And I can only imagine Abraham. Abraham, this, this man who, like, whatever chapter it was in, I think he was in chapter 14. I think I know that John preached the chapter, but this is a man who's, like, this warrior who, like, rallied his men to go take on, like, four different kings, been to battle, fought, 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 led these people, and here he is on his face just broken with his wife. He finds himself in a situation like, now what am I going to do with her? And so the culture during this day, which will play into the story of how burials, burials were happened there. If you go to Israel today, you'll be able to see it like on the, um, the Mount of the Olives where there's like all of those graves. You'll see like there's like sort of open air areas. And what they would do is they'd place the body in there. They'd put uh, lime on the body so that the body would rapidly decompose. And then after the end of the year, you'd be left with the bones and then you could pack up the bones and then you could take them back to your home country. And so here he is like, he, he's over her body. He's like, you know, the person leaves. There's the grief of, of leaving the person. that You're separated from them. But then those who are left behind, then you have the actual logistics of dealing with their remains. 
The Bible tells us that our souls are separated from our body at death. It's a separation that the, the person who is here is now uh, present with the Lord if they're believers. And, but Abraham, here he is with his wife. Like, what's he going to do? He's in a land that's not his own. He has all of these promises of God. Leave your people. Leave your nation. Now his wife dies. Now what? And so he gets up from this, this uh, am I, uh, maybe I might get a little ahead of myself. I'll check in my notes. Um, see, the people passing away yesterday, and also Mike Martin's mom passed away last night at 11 o'clock, so be praying for them. Um, so I'm saying stuff out of order in my brain today. Um, a, a thought that I didn't finish in imagining Abraham in this moment over the course of the last 15 years that I've been here at Grace Point Church, being at these moments with the widows or widowers saying goodbye to their spouse, I've learned the most in these moments about how to like be a husband and how to uh, be a father. Um, because in these moments, these are like where uh, a life is truly assessed. And the things that people say and as they reflect upon their life, uh, I, I heard it somewhere, they just sort of, you know, capsulating my thoughts is, um, I, this week in my study I heard somebody say, uh, like a lesson, that at the end of your life, you're probably going to wish that you held your spouse's hand more than you held your cell phone. Pretty convicting. And so in these moments, we can learn from like, how do we live now? How do we make of the brevity of our life? To quote Roger Redding, right over here, our resident cowboy, he's like, oh no, what's he going to (laughs) say? Roger has a way with words. And he spits wisdom in cowboy. (laughs) He told me once that life is like a roll of toilet paper. The more you use... Roger, you want to finish it? (laughs) The faster it goes. But it's so true. Like I'll let you guys think about that one. But it's like life is like when you're young, it seems like it's taken forever. And then when you get older, it's like all of a sudden, like, like what you thought was two weeks was like a year. And what you thought was a year ended up being a decade. And it's like, where is it going? It's like running out of control. And so I've learned from the, the blessing of being at this church with elderly people and being like integrated with elderly people is learning the lesson of the brevity of life and don't waste your life. It goes too quickly. It goes too quickly to be petty. It goes too quickly to harbor like anger and resentment. We got to let it go. We got to turn to Christ. Forgive one another. It's not worth it. And so now here Abraham is with the body of his wife, and we read that Abraham rose from before his dead, and he spoke to the sons of Hes, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. He has to do something with her remains. He has the problem that he's not a countryman. He doesn't have rights to the land. He doesn't have rights to own property. It's kind of like Mexico, like if you're an American citizen, you can't go buy land in Mexico, but you can lease it for 100 years. And so here he is. He goes to them. We're going to see that he's in the city gate. He's trying to make a transaction. I need to do something with my wife's body. 
And in verse 5, the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. Abraham has a great name. We see that he's respected amongst these people who are not his countrymen. They say, whatever you need, you can bury your body, her body. But we need to kind of back up and remember the burial traditions. Now, it's not, are they saying that he can bury her body and leave it there? Or is it that they can, they can deal with her body, let it get to the bones, and then he can collect the bones and he can pack out her bones back to his country? Like, what are they saying? Abraham is not satisfied with their response. Verse 7, so Abraham rose and he bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth, and he spoke with them saying, if it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of your sight, hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zohar for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the end of his field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. And I love this. He gets up. He's like, well, I got a plan. I've been looking at this piece of property that I really like. I think it'll be appropriate. This is what I want. Please go talk to the guy and let him not know that I'm going to pay full price. Like whatever the cost is, I'm going to pay full price. Verse 10. Now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth. He happened to be there at the gate doing the transaction or hearing the proposition. The sons of Heth and Ephron, the Hittite answered, Abraham, and hearing of the sons of Heth, even all of those who went in at the gate in the city, saying, No, my Lord, hear me. Three times he's going to say, I give it to you, I give it to you, I give it to you, I give you the field, I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you, bury your dead. I just give it to you. You can have it. It's a gift. You're, we respect you. We love you. Take it. You have a good name. Verse 12, and Abraham bowed before the people of the land, so he's respectfully bartering. He spoke to Ephron in verse 13, hearing of the people of the land, saying, if you will only please listen to me, I will give you full price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Abraham wants to pay. There's no such thing as a free gift. There's always strings attached. He does this, something's going to happen. He's trying to make sure that he secures this property for his family for years and years to come. Uh, not to spoil the story for you, but he, he's going to get the land. He's going to be buried there. His son and his wife are going to be buried there. And then their son and his wife will be buried there. There's three generations that end up buried in this cave. And he doesn't want any strings attached. He wants to make sure that this is a legal transaction, that it goes through escrow appropriately, that the county clerk signs off on it, and then there's nothing that could come back to say, aha, he gave it to you, but he wasn't allowed to give it to you because it was actually his grandfather's property, and there's a little clause here that, you know, like some, the attorneys will always come out and you'll always lose. But he wants to make sure that everything is done appropriately, And we're going to see that he's going to give him full price. Verse 16, Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out uh, for... uh, Oh, no, I skipped ahead. Verse 14, sorry. Uh, Then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you, me and you? So bury your dead. So he gives him his offer. And I think that the guy thought when he put this that there'd be like a counter. Like that Abraham was going to come back with 200 pounds or whatever, 200 shekels, and that they'd kind of meet in the middle. 
But at this point, Abraham pulls out his wallet and he says, fine, 400 shekels it is. Abraham listened to Ephron, verse 16, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver which he had named at the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. Everything was legal. He just made an offer, 400 shekels. I'm going to take him on the offer. No haggling. This is full price. So Ephron's field, which is in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and the cave, which was in it, and all the trees were there in the field that were within the confines of its border, were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of a city. And so the land legally becomes Abraham's. He's in front of it. This is like the this is like being down at the, the county office. This is where all of the paperwork is done. Everything's handled on the spot. And then we come to the burial, verse 19. Uh, verse 19, after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that are in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. So this is huge. Um, it, it's, not just, it's not just huge because he now has a place to bury his wife. It's huge because in this transaction, we see Abraham, while it's not said or explicitly in the text, this is a huge step of obedience and faith. His home was Ur, far away. God said, I'm going to give you this land. Well, at this point in this stage in his life, this isn't his land. He's in another people's country that he can't buy land. Now he has executed this transaction right in the heart of the promised land. He and his family have this little postage-sized stamp of like real estate that is in the heart of where God promised. Three of his generations would be buried there. Now, so often what I love about the Bible and you come to like various things and you say, oh, well, if this is like a story, can we just go there and can we go visit this spot? If this is like in the Bible, can we go? Yeah, you can. You guys know that? Like I've never been there, but like in Israel, you can go there. This is west of the Dead Sea. If we can go to the next slide, just to kind of put things in perspective. No, well, go, uh, yeah, there we go. Perfect. Okay, top right, big circle, Baghdad. This is from Google today. Like you can go to Google Maps and you can punch in these locations. This isn't some like Bible reference thing. So you have Baghdad in the upper circle uh, where it's Ur in red. Hopefully you guys can see that uh, bold print. That's where Abraham is from. God had told him to, to go down to the promised land. This is ballpark. The other red sort of odd-shaped piece is about the land that God promised to Abraham and his descendants. If you work your way down to the left, we have Israel, we have the Dead Sea, we have the Sea of Galilee, uh, we have Egypt down here. That's the tomb of the patriarchs. So that little spot, you can find it on Google, you can go there today. If you want. I mean, it would take you about 24 hours, 40 hours to get there, but you can go there today. Next slide, to zoom in on Israel. So now we've zoomed in on Israel, we have the Dead Sea. So just west of the Dead Sea, uh, you have the Gaza Strip over there, um, Right in Hebron, that name sounds familiar, right? Hebron of the Bible. See, I, I love this. When the Bible says stuff, you can actually go there and check it out. Like, this isn't, these aren't made up spots. And so if we zoom in even farther, we'll see this area. Uh, next slide. 
I think we're on three. So this is the location. They've obviously built up around it. This building is, like, I don't have time. You can go to Wikipedia, and you can, like, do all the searching. This, this huge building is over these caves. It's a fascinating site, and I haven't been there, but now, after this week, I, like, really want to go there and check it out to see if I can add it to the next tour of Israel trip. Like, hey, is there any way we could do a little detour to Abraham's tomb? Um, the fascinating thing about this building is the Jewish people and the Muslim people have fought over years over this little piece of real estate, if you can believe it. Apparently, it's controlled by the, era, the, the, the Muslims at this, at this current point, but Jews are allowed in there. There's two separate entrances, and there's two separate, like, so one gets to look at one side of the casket, and, like, the one gets to look at the other side. Um, next slide, we're going to get inside, and I haven't been there. So the one on the left, apparently that's the, the tomb that contains the bones of Abraham, and on the right, it's the tombs of the others. So I haven't been there to, like, verify it to see for myself, but it's pretty much accepted. There's no, like, when you start Googling this, it's like, hey, this is a big sham. This isn't true. This is, like, this is a huge person. And so when we read today's story, however many years ago this is, that he went there, he buried his wife, and then the Bible continues, and that Abraham was ultimately buried there. Next week, we're going to get to Abraham's death, when we're going to get to his, his son and daughter-in-laws and grandson and, and daughter, granddaughter-in-law. That They're all there. It's It's fascinating. Okay, so what do we do with this passage? Like, I, I had to kind of zip along here to get to the conclusion. So when I look at this story of Abram or Abraham mourning the death of his wife, uh, in today's situation or yesterday's situation with Miss Pat dying, Miss Pat followed Bob into death. For those of us who were here back in 2000, I think it was 20, uh, when, when Bob passed away, uh, we, we were here at the memorial service where Miss Pat stood up and she saluted Bob and Miss Pat style. And then there was that gap from his death until her passing of, of the sorrow. When I read through this passage all of this week, I'm reminded of the Bible's command throughout the Bible. God gives his people super strong exhortations to care for who? Widows and orphans. And this is why, like, one of the reasons, like, Camp Julian Oaks, out in Julian, this, this, this camp for foster kids, these are modern-day orphans. And so that I, I see a, a strong biblical command that we have an obligation to love and to care for these orphans. And I think that's why God is really like uh, tapping into my heart recently for Camp Julian Oaks. But then we also see widows, and I'd say widowers, that there's something, if God has created marriage as this like union to help explain like himself, like in Ephesians chapter five, we were talked about everything is about like the marriage and what the marriage is and husbands and wives. And at the very end, Paul says, that's all great and dandy, but the only reason I'm talking about this is so that you'd have a better picture of who God is. And, and so in marriage, when you see a couple that's been married for like 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, like I've seen here at this church, and then to see the one depart, there's a great, like, just a great sorrow. And so something that like wasn't in my plan, like 
prior to this morning, but what I would like to do, and I hate to put anybody on the spot, but at the same time, I'm going to do it. Um, If you are a widow or a widower, would you please stand? I know we have a couple more of the... Good to see you, Jim. Good to see you. I recognize you there. Um, But I just want to take time to pray uh, for these guys. I know you're remarried, but the pain of the sorrow, I I do want to share about Rick. I mean, Rick and Concha are married. Rick sent me a very sobering message that I think leads into my point number two. So Rick's wife and his daughter passed away, what year was it? So 97 and 2007, this year he sent me a picture of the, the, the grave site, his wife and everybody's names and date of death, but then his name was on there with the tick mark, but no end point. And I'm like, oh man, that's like one of the most sobering pictures. And he's like, it's a very weird feeling. And I think that's part of the lesson here. But I want to take a time to, to pray for these individuals. Um, Father, I do pray for each person who's standing here before us now. Uh, Father, for those of us that are not standing, we can only imagine the the true sorrow of, of losing our spouse who we love and care for. And so, Father, I pray for each of these people who are standing uh, that you would care and minister for them only as you can. Uh, we thank you for their spouses and the time that you gave with them. I pray, Father, for the families of each one of these individuals that you would help each of us to, uh, to love them well, to care for them. And Father, I pray that you would give them hope. Uh, Lord, just for the day that they go through the, the absence of, uh, of their loved one. I, uh, I think of C.S. Lewis's book. He has a book where he talks about the loss of his wife. And uh, people ask him, are you, how are you doing? And he referenced it like going up to an amputee and asking them how they're doing. And it just, it's losing a part of you. And so, Father, I, I pray that you would help us as a congregation to love these individuals well. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Right, you guys can be seated. Um, this subject of death is one of the most important subjects that we could study. This is like where like our belief system, this is like where the, the rubber meets the road. It, if our faith is only good for this life, Paul says it's, it's, it's worthless. Like there's no point. They're, like you're wasting your time. If there's no resurrection, then like we of all people should be pitied. Like we're wasting our time. And so we're taking communion today. And you can start working on the little like communion cup. It takes forever, so you can you know it's a just be careful squirting on yourself. Uh, just deal with the administrative task of getting it open. If there's somebody that needs help, just help them out. It's always make me think of juice boxes. I always.
So the Bible speaks a lot about death. Uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he writes there that God has placed eternity in our hearts. Um, A few chapters later in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, in the first two verses we read, a good name is better than a good ointment. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. This always is like so, it seems to go against everything that we know. We think, oh, the birth is the best and the death would be the worst. But for the person who walks with God, the reality is, is there's freedom from this, this body of sin and brokenness and, and sorrow and pain. And so the day of one's death, when you can go face to face with your Lord and Revelation talks about him wiping every tear, that the pain and the sorrow that we know in this life will be gone. Solomon says it's better to, the day of your death is better than the day of your, your birth. The death better than birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to a house of feasting because that is the end of every man and the living takes it to heart. Our inclination is that we want to go to parties and to have fun and just to, to celebrate and that every day would be like going to Disneyland for some of you. I, that sounds like a nightmare to me, but, um, but I'm just trying to use the saying. And the Bible tells us that when, when you lose a loved one or someone you know dies or, or you become aware of somebody passing, it's the best place for you to be. And, and why is that? Because when we're faced with death, it forces us to contemplate our own life and the decision and decisions and actions and the way we're living, the things that we've done. Like, are we right with God? Are we at peace? Because none of us are like guaranteed like another moment. Like we, we just aren't. And I'm not here to like, this isn't like some scare tactic of, uh, you know, hellfire and brimstone sermon, but it's just the reality of being human is like we could all get, leave here and any one of us turning onto our road could get T-boned and killed. And the more we're in Valley Center, it's like, well, it's, you don't have to really take that one out too long. You know, like, like we just don't know. And so when we are confronted with someone's death, Pat was almost 90, but even though she was only 90, like if you're nine years old, the sooner you come to recognize your death, the better you're going to be because you realize how short your life is and you want to make the most of how you're living. It forces us to think and it should. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, just as one man sinned, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve eating the fruit, one man sinned, through one man sin entered the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. You sin because you're a sinner. You're not a sinner because you've sinned. You sin because you're a sinner. It's in our DNA. When Adam and Eve sinned, our DNA, our genetic code was ruined. We, as humanity, were separated from God. You just can't clean us up. I'm holding a thought. I'm not going to. He continues, or previously to this, what he said in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. He says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare to even die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This, this is the little wafer and the juice that we're holding in our hand. The, 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 the wafer is a symbol of his body that was broken for you. The juice is a symbol of his blood, the new covenant. While we were yet sinners, we did not do anything to earn favor with God. He did this for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through, death, through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so this passage tells us about communion, this, 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 this thing that we do, this, uh, I almost said a word I didn't want to say from my Catholic background, which is not, so I'm like, I'm debating myself, my old thinking. This is something that we do to remind ourselves of what Jesus did. We're told in Hebrews 9.27 that in as much as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. And so this is what communion is. It's a time for us to remember what Jesus did for us. He died on the cross for us, the the little cracker or wafer or whatever this thing is. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed. It became a new uh, covenant that we have eternal life in him. He died once and for all. And in him, we have life. And for those of us who have received Christ as Savior, we're longing for his return to, to get out of this world that is filled with sin and hardship and pain and brokenness. It's overwhelming. But Paul says, as long as we're here, we, he has a mission for us to be a light, to be his ambassador. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're told that as long as we take this, we're to be proclaiming his death to a world that is separated without him. And so my prayer is that as you grapple with death, and for us as a congregation, as we grapple with death from losing a couple loved ones today, we didn't lose them. We know where they are. They've been separated from us. We pray that we would take inventory on our lives, that we would reflect and realize that Christ died for us so that we might have life. And we're going to stand before him one day. And in light of that truth, my prayer is that we would make the most of our days that we have left. It was C.T. Studd that said, "'Tis only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last." And so we don't know how much time we have left, but you can make the most of the moments that you have for him. Father, we thank you for this day. We, Father, we pray that we 
would be able to reach the place in our thinking, in our minds, where we could uh, truly thank you for death. Uh, We're told in Genesis early on at the fall of man that you took away the tree of life. For to live eternally in a state of sin and brokenness would be a torturous thing. But death has been ushered in ultimately, Lord, to to bring restoration and renewal and to give us a a new life that's free of death. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, as we have grieved the loss of our dear friend, Miss Pat. We thank you that she is freed um, from her body of pain, uh, the sorrow of, um, of missing her husband, her dear Bob, We thank you that she's with you face to face now. And so, Father, as we have gone to the house of mourning for her, we recognize that her end will be our end one day. And we pray, Father, that as we hold these elements of this cracker and this juice, that you would help us, Father, to to really inventory our lives. Uh, This world has us running at such a, a crazy pace, and we're, we're so busy, and we don't have time to think and to ponder and to meditate upon these things. We, pr- we pray, Father, that you would help us to make decisions today uh, that we won't regret when our days are up. Father, help us to make the most of our lives with the time that you've given us. Help us to be faithful to you. We thank you that you gave all for us. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to give all to you. We love you. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.